Welcome to AMD Tech Talk, your source for the latest in data center innovation and insight on AMD's latest technology breakthroughs. And now here's your host, Jim Green. Thanks for listening today. Our guest is Rumpke Balasubramian. Rumpke, thanks for joining us. Can you give us a quick sentence on your role at AMD? Hey, thank you, Jim. Thank you for this conversation. I have been at AMD as part of the Zellings acquisition, and I've been here for the past two years. And prior to this, I was at Xilinx, and prior to that, I was at Facebook and Synopsys, and I worked in uh, infrastructure, data centers, compute, and software development throughout my career. Excellent. Thanks. So it's, it's interesting we have an AMD guest, but we actually don't want to talk about CPUs or accelerators or, or the like discreetly today. We actually wanted to uh, garner insights from you as a user and consumer of technology and how it really delivers business value. Uh, so I, I really appreciate you sharing your time with us today. So let's get started by talking about the industry in general. Gartner has recently reported on the, the pressure CIOs are under to maintain budgets and keep those under control, uh, while also really aligning IT solutions with the objectives of the business, right? So the matching of of business and, and IT capabilities and spend. This clearly requires deep understanding uh, across organizations and knowledge of technology solutions and how they might provide competitive advantage in the, in the marketplace. What is your view on how IT organizations can really manage that challenge? Yeah, so understanding the business uh, and the business priorities is foundational for any IT organization today. Uh, we can't live without that. At a very high level, all IT solutions today, they give us year-on-year -year benefits in terms of performance, throughput, efficiency, what have you. So looking at it from the perspective of our business priorities, the most important thing for us is to build a relationship with our business to understand their workloads and see how these technologies benefit them. Yeah. And to do this, I feel from my experience that providing a 24 by 7 foundational IT infrastructure helps us build that relationship over time because we are involved with them on a day-to-day -day basis and we are involved in effecting changes for the infrastructure that benefit them. Every time we introduce something new, we need to make sure that that change works at scale. So by doing this on an operational basis, we build our relationship over time and it also gives us a view of their business priorities as to what is important and what kind of technology will most benefit them today. And so this is the process that we use to develop our relationship with them and develop the trust in us and in providing them the right solution. And that's what helps us also evaluate the technology with respect to their parameters of the business objectives. It's great you brought the word trust in there. That is the foundation of that partnership, right? So you've carried the responsibility for keeping data center computing up and optimized for, for large corporations throughout your career here. What is the importance of understanding the infrastructure capabilities as it reports? You know, what's, what's the right foundation, that infrastructure that allows you to support and adapt to, to changing business priorities and workloads? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, good infrastructure is foundational for delivering business value. Mm -hmm. And it needs to handle our application mix that are optimal for 
our use cases and our business processes. So, for example, uh, in engineering, we look for high performance at scale, throughput, raw capability, and time to results, and efficiency of the infrastructure. Whereas for business workloads, what we end up needing is high availability, 24 by 7, non-stop operations, and also high user responsiveness, both during normal times and also during peak business cycles when the demand goes up and down. We don't want the user experience to go significantly bad during those times. So these are different types of constraints that the business applications place on us. And those are the things that we need to understand in our infrastructure as to how they deliver those capabilities and what kind of uh, technologies we need to introduce into the business. Mm-hmm. So you're probably not giving away any any secrets here, but you've been exposed to a lot of uh, of capabilities in the course of your career here. And now the pace of changes is way greater than ever before. In the age of cloud computing and SaaS-based service delivery capabilities, what is the importance now we now have a choice between on-prem or off-prem? You know, what, what's the right choice and how do you decide where to put a workload? Oh, it's a great question. So... On-premise infrastructure has been the primary delivery platform for all the enterprises over the past many, many decades, right? And software has evolved to work with on-prem infrastructure very efficiently over the multiple decades. However, to your point, SaaS applications that are built on the cloud have started delivering value no matter where they are, on the cloud or on-premise. And Cloud has also matured to the point where it is robust, it is scalable, it is very mature, and it is very secure today. So we do have options today of going on-prem or cloud. And it all depends on how our workloads can take the transformation from on-prem to cloud or vice versa. And the most important thing for me is the data gravity of our application workloads. And today, um, our enterprise workloads uh, work with data mostly in our on-premise infrastructure. However, there are data analytical workloads and other workloads that have already started with the cloud, with the SaaS vendor solutions. So depending on where the data is and depending on how much data we need to move back and forth, it places constraints on responsiveness. It places constraints on the additional costs that we incur. So we take that all into account before deciding where to place the workflow. And of course, business priorities predominate our discussions a lot. For example, if our business depends on serving a very large customer base of cloud vendors, uh, it is very, very important that we understand our customers, external customers' workloads and how they uh, serve our customer markets. So working with our cloud service providers is equally important, as well as our enterprise uh, vendors. So we work with them continuously to figure out what are the benefits and costs of placing the workloads in many uh, different areas? And we also work with our internal engineering and business partners to figure out how much work it is for them to migrate workloads to one way or the other and how much efficiency they gain by doing it one way or the other. Thanks. For performance tuning, you you'd mentioned some of the the different attributes, whether it's you know uptime and reliability and performance. Performance is... is especially in some of our more technical workloads here, it's really fundamental source for us. So I would imagine performance tuning is something that's 
kind of in your lifeblood of, of yours and certainly of any uh, um, IT uh, operation as you implement new technology, you're looking for that uh, real balance of performance here. When you think about performance optimization, how does it relate to the business outcome? And what is the process to ensure that everything continues to be optimized as new technology solutions are added? Yeah, so running highly performant applications is key to deliver uh, IT infrastructure at the optimal cost for the company, no mm -hmm. question. And in that sense, there are multiple variables we look at. One is the raw performance. The other is the throughput for very uh, large-scale workloads. The other is the cost. And then how efficiently we run the infrastructure. So these are all metrics that we use when we tune our applications to the infrastructure. And well-tuned applications typically run more efficiently and that directly affects the bottom line. And tuned applications that perform really close to the metal or as close as possible to the maximum capacity that the hardware delivers We'll be able to left shift our projects, reduce the time for delivering the same solution, and it can help our company get products to the market faster. And that helps the top line as well in terms of potential increase in market share or uh, delivering things to our customers as promised. So those are very, very important metrics that we use. And performance tuning also has to be done with respect to our workloads in terms of benchmarking them. Mm -hmm. uh, at scale. And so typically what we do is we use a mix of industry benchmarks, which is publicly available across all hardware vendors and all uh, software vendors. And we also do internal benchmarks with our internal workloads. And one effective way of doing performance tuning is not just to tune for the POC scale, but also to extrapolate how it will work at scale in our internal or external infrastructure. Because what may work well today as a POC will become operational infrastructure tomorrow. So we need to make sure that they run at scale and we predict any of the potential inflection points as the scale increases and then be ready for addressing any of the issues that may arise or try to supplant them with additional workload optimization from the business perspective. So clearly you cast a pretty wide net and, and always kind of have an open mind to looking at what's new x86 is an open ecosystem. I'm sure there have been times in your career when either AMD or Intel or another alternative have offered a significant performance or efficiency advantage for perhaps any given workload here. What considerations need to be taken into account when deciding to change vendors or change that infrastructure? And how much of an advantage or ROI benefit do you need to see before you consider making a change from what you already know works so well? In all the past instances of migrations that I have done before, aligning with our business objectives has been very crucial. Right? Mm -hmm. So our business determines what platforms we use today, and they also determine what platforms we bring to the table uh, in terms of options. And you asked a question about ROI. It's very important that we address all the dimensions. So the immediate ROI that I'm looking for is bare hardware improvements. So because of the way Moore's Law works and because of the way the industry has delivered year-on-year -year improvements, double-digit performance improvements every year is not unheard of. In fact, it's become the norm right now. So I am looking for at least that double-digit performance improvement in the raw platform to deliver any additional ROA on top of that. And these performance improvements can also be amplified if my applications can make use of newer features that 
are delivered by the hardware year on year. For example, with uh, Epic um, AMD hardware, there are certain types of configurations that deliver extra healthy cache to our applications. And some of our applications can take advantage of those and get more performance than the base raw IPC performance benefits. And we utilize those to bring additional ROI. So it is a matter of experimenting with the technology, understanding how our current workloads work, and also trying to find new opportunities where the new platforms can bring more value than what we see in our existing workloads. And that involves tuning the workloads, making sure we do benchmarks with our business partners, and also trying to figure out how the workflows can also be modified if they need to be to gain that additional leverage. So you have experience with working with AMD Epic at both previous stops in your career, but also at AMD, of course, so we know which one is your favorite. What has your experience been with migration as part of changing between suppliers? And where are you today with your infrastructure footprint? I have been involved in multiple migrations across the x86 spectrum. And this goes way back, right? Mm -hmm. And there are multiple reasons why we migrate and like business comes first. Way back when 32-bit computing was the norm in a software company that I used to work, we were hitting the limits of 32-bit computing and our customers were demanding 64 computing. And AMD was the first to the post finish line to deliver x86-64 hardware that's compatible to 32-bit and 64-bit within the same package. So... This was a significant delta for us and our business immediately realized the value and we started working with partners, uh, vendors who could provide us the platform and we migrated very rapidly. That was a very, very rapid transition if I remember. And so certain capabilities are foundational step functions and then the business is completely aligned and the business drives the rapid migration and we are literally working at the same timeline as the business. And we are working together right from the get-go, right? That's one of the migrations I've been used. And in the previous work at Xilinx, I migrated our platforms to the ROM platform. Mm -hmm. We did benchmarking with our customer workforce. And we found significant double-digit performance improvements, 20 to 30% performance improvements across our most important workloads. Mm -hmm. And so the case was very clear. And the way we did the migration was simply replace the old set of hardware with the new. And today, you mentioned an open ecosystem. x 64 is an open platform. It is ubiquitous. There are many, many vendors that we have a lot of options. And we can slide in at the same power footprint any new hardware technology because these are all standard parts. These are all commodity parts. And that helps us move the infrastructure very seamlessly with very little surrounding investments like data center changes or any other complex changes. So it's really simple with x86 to do this. And you asked a question about my current scale and capacity, right? In the most recent version, we have, it, at AMD, we have moved our entire fleet to Rome and Milan in the past two to three years. So much so that we are now contemplating every new platform. We are the first customer to evaluate with our business teams we call it, call it customer zero. So we evaluate our new platforms uh, internally with our engineering teams. And our engineering teams are very, very collaborative and they drive the evaluation with us across every application mix that we have today. And that provides us a window as to what are the choices we have to make, what are the cost and benefit of going one platform or the other. Do we optimize throughput? 
or do we optimize performance? Do mm-hmm. we optimize efficiency? And do we need to change anything else? So all of this plays in. And at the scale at which I'm running, it's a million threads, wow. close to a million threads. That's a lot. Now, and, and now I get to know you have a code name that I can call you Customer Zero. So that's, uh, that's pretty awesome there. Oh, that's what, that's <laughs> something that one of my uh, internal people coined. And we, that's really we, do, we do have something called AMD on AMD where we evaluate not just server parts. We use our own laptops. We use all our parts as and when possible in our production infrastructure. And we also work with our partners to test their products on our hardware as beta customers before they release products to the market. It's a great capability to have to be able to drink your own champagne to to really understand the benefits of what you're delivering across a, as you mentioned, you've got an incredibly demanding but broad set of of use cases there. That's a capability you wouldn't want to uh, miss out on. Ramki, I'm sure I'm oversimplifying you by saying it's it's probably pretty easy to sit across the table from a business partner and talk about their needs today. How do you work with them and, and encourage them and get them to do some possibility thinking about what their needs might be as, as they look forward? How do you get that forward-looking view so that you have a robust infrastructure, not something that meets today's needs, but meets tomorrow's needs as well? Yeah, this is a great question. And uh, in one sense, I'm lucky that we are, I'm working where I am because we develop the platforms that we mm-hmm. use. So in that sense, the question is not as hard as... Uh, possibly for the rest of my customer base. But let me take a stab at it. So the most important thing you asked was, how do you get our customers to think for the future? So in our silicon business, we always think about the future. So people are always thinking about what are the future workloads that are going to come up. And we are always optimizing for future workloads with respect to competition. So what we do is use our relationship with our engineering customer base to identify those who have the most appetite for including these new infrastructures in their workflow and work with them very early on and work on a constant basis to try to get the right benchmarks in place and find the value, assess how it will impact our future projects and then make a case to the CIO and the CIO and the C-level execs work together and then they bring us the options of investment to the table. And if there are other things that we need to drop, we need to prioritize an idea as to what we need to drop. And we always have to prioritize. But right. if the value is large enough, and if the value pr- proposition is not just operations, but also innovation capabilities, or taking leadership position in the market with uh, certain kinds of workloads that we've never seen before, then... We get excited, we talk to our engineering customers and our business partners, and we try to work together to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in our environment, it's probably fairly easy to find the people that oh, have absolutely. that forward, forward-looking mindset. But in general, it's always about finding the right business partner to engage in that discussion with you. So even if you weren't in, in IT, I, I imagine you would do a very similar thing by finding the right partners uh, and encouraging that mindset and, and nurturing those as, as your kind of forward-looking sounding boards, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very good point. Well, there are always technologies that bring so much value that it's very easy for a customer to understand and partner with us. 
For example, if something gives 10x performance improvement, if a storage technology or if a way of optimizing our own internal workloads gives us a significant performance improvement, our customer is excited, they work with us immediately. If it's a smaller improvement, then yes, it is a harder sell. So mm-hmm. we are also looking for that 10x type capability or that extraordinary amount of improvement that can come from any innovation out there. Yeah. And that turns our customers' interest towards, hey, why not this instead of why, right? You have to turn the question around. If there are others in, in the audience here who are wondering, and based on the experience of some of the examples you could share here, if they're wondering, say, hey, uh, you know, what, what might it be like for me? Can you give me a sh- sense of how heavy a, a lift migration can be? And what words of wisdom would you give them, someone that's thinking about evaluating properly and what it would take to, to get more out of their IT infrastructure by changing solutions? Yeah, great question. So what can I say? If you are in IT, it is easier than you think. Mm. The thing is to make the first step, to do the evaluation, and to come in with an open mind to figure out what are all the parameters that the new solution brings, and also to work with the business teams. The most important thing for me as an IT organization is not to provide new solutions, but to provide solutions that work for the business, for my engineering and business customers. It can be great hardware, but if it doesn't work for my application mix that well, it's not going to be possible for me to make the business case. Mm-hmm. And since you mentioned budgets early on, budgets are always under constraint and there's always more to do in any business than there is enough money for. So there's always business priority that mm-hmm. drives some of these solutions. So I would say at the outset again, that it is easier than we think. The thing is to get started and also to get started with a benchmark set of applications that provide us a good sense of how that platform will fare in production scale. Because you can never test enough at scale. Mm -hmm. So you need to test it at a reasonable enough scale that you get high level of confidence that it's going to work. And also changing infrastructure will also provide additional opportunities and benefits across the other parts of the infrastructure. If you change compute, it changes the balance of how it interacts with storage So you may find that you might have to tune the storage a little bit or the storage might be better performing with the new hardware. So you get those additional ancillary benefits. And you always rebalance the infrastructure during every migration because each infrastructure provides slightly different constraints on the rest of the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So that would be my summary. That's that's really great discussion, Ramki. It really puts the kind of a much more holistic and operational perspective. It's so, so many times we talk about the technology and kind of don't really focus on the operational and business impact. So thanks. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. My thanks to Rumke Balasubramian for joining us to share his perspectives on how IT adapts to changing business needs and new technologies. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time. Thanks for joining AMD Tech Talk. Find out more about the technologies discussed today at www.amd.com. 